This message comes from NPR sponsor Bank of America. We're all shopping for essentials online these days. With the Bank of America Cash Rewards Credit Card, you can choose to earn 3% cash back on online shopping essentials. Visit bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding. Copyright 2020 Bank of America Corporation. On the next episode of Louder Than a Riot, the 20-year fight to clear the name of former No Limit rapper Mac Phipps. Because me and my brother was close. The years that he lost, that's some of the best years of his life. He done lost. For me, it, it just hurts. Listen now to Louder Than a Riot, the new podcast from NPR Music. For NPR Music, you're connected to All Songs Considered. I'm Bob Boylan. Today, a conversation with flaming lips, Wayne Coyne. The subject is drugs. It's a centerpiece of their new and 16th studio album, American Head. The songs, written by Wayne Coyne, Steve Drozd, and the band, weaves real-life experiences with fiction, often depicting the sadness and tragedy of drug use. In this conversation, Wayne Coyne speaks to the tragic loss of friends, the impact on families, and how the contemplative and thrilling sounds of this record came to be. And it all began with an unlikely inspiration, the death of musician Tom Petty. There's this great three-hour-long uh, documentary about Tom Petty and his early life and, you know, just, just an amazing, insane career and follows him through all this stuff. And some of the most inspiring bits of it, I, I think for most people, you know, it's like, how does, how does Tom Petty get this whole thing going, you know? And in the beginning of this documentary, it talks about when they are traveling from Gainesville, where they live from Florida, mm-hmm. they're supposedly on their way to Los Angeles, but the producer has sort of headed them off at the pass and has set up this time in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is still a long ways from Florida and still a long ways from L.A., you know. But you do sort of have to go through Oklahoma to get to Los Angeles. So not a long way from you then. <laughs> So Tulsa is just up the road, slightly northeast, about 111 miles. Uh And so, you know, this is the part of the story where if you're if you live here or if you're me and you know my older brothers and their friends, this moment in time becomes slightly intriguing because you're like, now, wait a minute. You know, my older brothers, they would know bikers and drug dealers and weirdo musicians from Tulsa and Oklahoma City all throughout the early 70s. And I started to think it would have been. You know, it's kind of remotely possible that they could have run into... They weren't calling Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and I think they were just Mud Crutch, Mud Crutch and that's, yeah. the, that's the beginning name that they had, you know. It's, it's very possible that they could have run into them, sold them some pot, sold them some acid or something, you know, and <laughs> said, hey, you know, there are some cool musicians hanging out in Tulsa. All that is just kind of me thinking about it. And then my imagination started to go, and I thought... Wow, we all really know what happened to Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. They whatever they recorded up there in Tulsa, probably end up being their you know their first album or whatever, and that's why there's no secret Tom Petty Tulsa tapes, as as we would say, <laughs> right. you know. But I started to think about that is one of the great things you know that you discover somewhere along the way. This lost tape that this lost group made, and it's it's beautiful and it's damaged and it's sad and. You know, they got addicted to drugs and they were homesick and the band never made it. But they made this one beautiful, strange record that no one ever heard. And then someone (laughs) unearths it 50 years later. That's my imagination running away with me. But this idea that we could kind of be 
not be Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, but be a, a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers type of group where there's a, a main singer and a songwriter, and then he's got this amazing group of musicians. We thought, well, why don't we just use that as a kind of a character outline? And we would start to make a record and see if it went anywhere. And, you know, these stories can quickly make people think, well, is, are, are you guys doing Tom Petty covers? It's like, no. Is, is this, you know, do you sound like Tom Petty? No, but it's, it's a basis for us to have a kind of identity by which to say, here's how the songs are going to sound and we're, here's what the stories are going to be about. Yeah. A jumping off point and a place to take your imaginations and put you out of your usual place and, and run with it. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like having a, a role in a movie or something. You know, that, right. I love that sort of stuff. Suddenly, you know, oh, I know exactly who I can be here. Yeah. And so what was the first song that you sort of started to play with, with that in mind? The very first song that we felt like was doing that is the song uh, Mother, I've Taken LSD. Mother, I've taken LSD. I thought it would set me free But now I think it's changed me It's changed me It's changed me It's changed me Did you have a, a narrative in mind, or did, or, or if you didn't have one in mind, do you see one as you look back at what you've made? Well, in the beginning, we liked this idea that there was a regret and there was a homesickness, you know, still picturing Tom and, and, the, and the group up there having hard times, and, and perhaps they had to get jobs even working in Tulsa. And that all helped us, too, because that was like, well... Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I could really be singing about my own uh, working at a fast food restaurant here in Oklahoma City. And it works in that storytelling dimension, you know. And I also think it just helps you not feel so self-conscious about your own boring, normal life. You know, I mean, I've always marveled at how, I mean, obviously Tom Petty, but even like a Bruce Springsteen, it's like he's just singing about his life. And it, it sounds like, you know... The, like the Bible or something, come to life. It's like, my life doesn't sound like that, you know? Um, but with this other coloring, you know, you do find that you're singing about things that are common. And that kind of works, you know? To sing about just ridiculous things that no one can relate to, I think in the beginning probably sounds like, a, you know, a wonderful explosion, like you're the Wizard of Oz or something. But in a sense, you know, you really don't want that. You want to be singing about common things that you've struggled with, 
things that maybe you lost. And, you know, that's that's what really makes this type of music work is that you kind of admit from the beginning, I'm just a normal person and I have struggles and I have regrets, you know. And so I think all that really helped us in the beginning. And a lot of the struggles and the regrets and the things in your life are what we all see around us, which is as we grow up, we make mistakes. And in this case, in this record, so many of those mistakes were around drugs. So many of the mistakes cost people their lives. And you pull from real life somewhat in all of that, yeah? Well, yeah. I mean, I think when you don't examine it too much, you think, oh, this is common. This is what happens to everybody. The opening song on the album, we talk about this car crash crashing in their cars you know and so Stephen and I have this common experience and that we both have a little bit of regret about our younger selves and the way we dealt with it and you know I do think sometimes music and songwriting you know it doesn't let you actually go back in time and say i'm sorry that i didn't have more sympathy and and i didn't have more feeling for what what happened then but it lets you do it in your own mind you know and i, I remember at the time there was a horrible car accident where a friend of all of ours a friend of my uh, older brothers and my older sister and uh, the group of friends that we were around was killed in this car accident and the guy that was driving like everybody that was around us at the time was completely messed up on, I don't know if it was quaaludes, but I think it was. And at the time, I just was so unfeeling and mad about, well, mm. you guys just do too many drugs. You're going to, you know, you're going to kill yourselves. You're going to kill everybody, you know. And about six months later, this this boy, he was 15 years old that died in this car accident. His girlfriend was pregnant at the time. She was 15 and she took some kind of drugs and and committed suicide. Oh. So all this gets so <laughs> I know and I don't mean to laugh but it is it just is it's such a ridiculous heavy story. And I think when it was happening to us, I think we thought this was common that a lot of a lot of families and a lot of people, you know, would would this would happen to everybody. But as I got older, you know, I did see it's like, man, this is really a heavy, heavy, heavy thing. And there was no way that I could talk to my brothers about it. And I'm one of my older brothers, he's even a dead of an over, a drug overdose now as well, you know. But I do think that sometimes music does let you go to the universe and say, look, you know, I wish that I tried to understand this more. And I wish I understood that pain and that pain of loss and death and that pain of being that guy that was driving that car and you know like they had done a million times only this night it ended up horrible you know and having more understanding of that which I do now but I but I didn't then and I think that's why some of these songs they're just you know we're just trying to tell that story even if we're just telling it you know to ourselves so we can say yeah I, I'm, I'm not like that now I wish I could change it you know
And it's not being didactic. It's not like you're telling people. But at the same time, as a listener, could give second thoughts to driving that car drinking alcohol, could get second thoughts about driving that car on opioids. And I mean, we've all seen these sort of things in our lives, at least. Well, maybe that's an assumption, but I've certainly seen my share of people making stupid mistakes and losing their lives over it. It obviously depends on what the listener is is taking from it. Some people I, w- would be like me when I was young and think, "Man, that's cool." Oh, I see. Yeah, <laughs> I, there's, there's that, right? Okay. You know, I sit here and nothing happens in my life. I, I want to go to a war. I want to be involved. You know, I want to be a spy. I want to be living this bigger right, life. Right, you know, right. and I think it's only once we got older that we realized part of it was this majestic, mythical American, you know, experience. But you don't know that when it's happening to you. You know, it it feels it doesn't feel exotic to you. It just feels very normal. Yeah, you got a song called You and Me Selling Weed. And I think there are plenty of people who say, all right, man, I'm going to (laughs) listen to that one. And then tell us about the characters in that song. There's there's Danny and Grace. Yeah, well, you know, this part of the story i've only been able to tell the story for the past couple of years because you know marijuana has become legal in oklahoma city i think it's in most of oklahoma now so and a lot of the characters that i would talk about they're they're dead now and so Mm. there's no real (laughs) i don't feel like the fbi is going to come and 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 finally get me you know but when i was 16 years old i was working at a fast food restaurant and but most of the my older brothers and their friends and all that You know, they were selling marijuana. Some of them were selling, you know, harder drugs or whatever, but a lot of them were selling pot and really selling it to their friends. And all of us were sort of in on this, but I wasn't. And I mean, I think about it now, I was only 16 years old, so why would I have? But for a couple of years, being 16 and 17 years old, I sort of said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in on this and see what it's all about and try to make some extra money or whatever, you know. And I think there is probably some you know, some glamour or some, I mean, you know, the, 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 in, in the lyric, it says, uh, you know, uh, dope dealing celebrities. And so I'm a celebrity right. in a sense at my high school, you know, I'm, I'm a junior at high school selling marijuana to the, the seniors and all the cool people and everybody knows. That and I'm you become a cool, cool person, or at least in your <laughs> mind and the mind of those who are buying. Well, that's part of it. I think part of that's the good appeal of it. But then, you know, it didn't take very long before I saw the other side of it, which no one really can tell you about. You know, you really do have to smell it and feel it and know it for yourself before it really has an effect on you. And to see the violence and to see the how people steal from each other and to see the damage that it does and to see, I mean, I'm very lucky that I didn't, even if something, you know, small happened where I ended up having to go to jail or something, even if it was just for six months or a year, I mean, I just think about now that would completely have devastated my life. At the time, I didn't think it would, mm-hmm. but I think about it now. It's like, yeah, that would have that would you don't want that to happen, even to go to jail for a weekend. You know, it's just not worth it. You know, and so I was lucky that I made a kind of promise to myself that I'd, I would do this, but I would get out of it before I turned 18. And <laughs> before you could go because to jail. 18, yeah, like, oh, well, once you're 18, they're going to they're gonna treat you like a criminal, which they would have done anyway. You know, I mean, I, that's, just your, that's just your simplified thinking right. of it. And seeing my friends, some of my friends from high school, and that would be the, the Danny and the Grace, you know, they were into 
harder drugs and harder clientele and harder circumstances, you know. And that ended up where they owed one of the drug dealers a lot of money and they didn't want to pay him. They go over his house and, and one thing had, you know, leads to the next and they get involved in a horrible murder. You and me sound weak Think I've got all I need with you as my girl Feels like I'm ruling the world You and me with our kingdom before us Feels like we're living in the magic forest my girl feels like king of the This is kind of flying through your mind of like, oh my God, we, we were thinking this was something cool. This is something like that's fun. And we're like, and then it, it, it goes into the, the reality of what, of what uh, drugs and drug dealing and all, you know, the, all the lawlessness that comes with it. And it was horrible. And I think it did change. It changed me, but it changed my older brother's as well. And I think that really helped me because I think I did want to follow in their footsteps, you know, what they thought was cool, I wanted to think was cool. What they were doing, I wanted to do. And I think as this changed for them, I think it was a good thing for our family because we saw like, this is, 
this is destructive and this is horrible and this is violence and this is one human to another really doing something bad and wrong, which I, you know, I can say in, in that way. I never did that sort of thing. And that's a great, great relief to me now. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. I'm talking to Wayne Coyne of The Flaming Lips, and you're listening to All Songs Considered from NPR Music. This message comes from NPR sponsor, We Transfer. We all have doubts, but where do they belong? Are they simply to be surfaced and forgotten? We Transfer believes your doubt needs a place where it can grow into something useful. And We Transfer's set of tools can help you do just that by collecting, sketching, presenting, and sharing your thoughts with the world. It's where doubt transforms into ideas. Meet, paste, paper, and collect by WeTransfer. Go to tools2moveideas.com to learn more. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp, the online counseling service dedicated to connecting you with a licensed counselor to help you overcome whatever stands in the way of your happiness. Fill out a questionnaire and get matched with a professional tailored to your needs. And if you aren't satisfied with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time free of charge. Visit BetterHelp.com songs to get 10% off your first month. Get the help you deserve with BetterHelp. It's All Songs Considered. I'm Bob Boylan. I'm talking to Wayne Coyne of The Flaming Lips about their new record. It's called American Head. Your brother's on the cover of the record. He, he is. My sister-in-law, every Christmas, will have spent the previous year scouring through all of our photo collections, and she'll turn them into a calendar. Mm-hmm. So starting probably, you know, 15 years ago, you could kind of go to a, you know, somewhere and put your pictures in, it would make a calendar. And I think it was the Christmas of 2017, she put that picture of my older brother Tommy on the cover of this calendar that she gave out. And I have to say, even when I saw it for the very first time, as a picture I'd never seen. That's what makes huh. these calendars kind of like so special. How old was he in this, roughly in this photo? 15 or 16. And it's a sort of, uh, it's not obvious, but it's a little bit of an, oh, a double exposure. There's something else going on with the emulsions and stuff that give it it looks like it's from the 1930s, even huh. though it's really from 1969, you know. And I don't know if everybody would, will relate to this description, but there's, there's something about it that felt like a, like a Ken Burns portrait. You know, he would have followed this, mm-hmm. this kid, you know, like he does in his documentaries. He'll oh. show you the person, and then he's going to follow them and say, here's what happened, and here's what they think. And happened. there's probably a whole story just in the face itself that makes you want to... Well, yeah, and and that my oldest brother, Tommy, these stories that we would tell, a lot like the same with with Stephen's older brothers, you know, they are us being young, sort of, we're in these stories, but we're not the protagonists, you know, we're not the ones going to jail, we're not the ones in the car accidents, we're sitting back here, and I think that's the thing Stephen and I have in common probably more than anything is just we just worry too much (laughs) you know we're you know i just remember always when my my older brothers would leave the house i would just be like man i I, don't go out there and get in a car accident and don't kill someone or don't get involved in a murder you know i mean just just being eight or nine years old i remember saying that you know i don't know your family history and you mentioned your brother passing away and I get confused of what's where the true story is and where the fiction is in the record. So Tommy is 
Well, and and part of that is what we want, you know. I mean, I, I don't really, I don't really want my older brothers and their friends all saying, "Well, you're telling stories about us, and they're not real, and they're not right. true." And it's like, well, you know, I, I always use the example of you know John Lennon's uh, "Strawberry Fields Forever." You know, when we were hearing it, you know, when we we're eight or nine years old or whatever, we really don't care that it's a real place or really what is he talking about you know to us whatever it was that it evoked wasn't what he you know what he was evoking it was just the explosions that were happening in our mind it became something else and so part of what I think we thought well this could happen with our music some of it is so specific to us but it's also kind of could be whatever you want it to be and so Naming real people, I thought this is, again, maybe this is like what Bruce Springsteen does, or this is even sometimes what John Lennon does or whatever. But it also doesn't matter, you know, because you can easily in your mind, you could say, well, that's their name and your song, but it Mm -hmm. could be this person in my life. And I, I think we sort of felt like it's mythologizing our own life, but it's not really, it's not a documentary. It's something that happened to Stephen when he was five. The next line could be something happened to me when I was 16. You know, it could just, right. it's just a mishmash of these feelings. And I think that's, that's what we didn't want to get away from. We wanted to stay on that and say, can we keep honing in on these feelings? It, it's being naive, it's, being, it's having regret, but it's also having some experience. You know, part of it is we're in this stuff, but we're scared and we're tough and we're, you know, we're sensitive. I think that's, that's the part of it that leads us to, you know, do songs about it. 50 years later. If God and the policemen are watching over me, they both know what I have done. If God and the policemen are watching over things that really works with the way that Stephen and I write songs is you know he's his music is so evocative and I know it's evocative to his own memories and his own you know subconscious or whatever but it's doing the same thing to me you know it's like I'm hearing I'm like it's just bringing up things that you wouldn't normally have the ability to just go in and, and grab you don't have to answer this if you don't want to but I've always been fascinated with the 
intersection of music and drugs. I, I'm a handful of years older than you. I grew up in the dead of the 60s and lived <laughs> through it and the 70s and began making music in a psychedelic band in the 70s. Um, can I ask you what your history is with drugs and Especially yeah. in the in the like this record is very much about the sadness of it all, yeah, uh, but there yeah. is a well I don't want to put words in your mouth but I think there's a creative aspect to them and we saw that and see that and hear that in in music. Well, I'm glad you gave me the option at the beginning of your of your question there. I mean, for me, it's probably that doing drugs implies you're willing to take a risk. You know, you're willing mm -hmm. to see what happens, you know, and I can totally understand where creative people and drugs kind of go together because you're kind of like, well, I kind of want to see what happens. And that's that's what you do with paintings and that's what you do with music and that's what you do with collaborating with people that's what you do with experiences and circumstances you know you kind of just jump in and say yeah I don't care I want to see what happens you know but for me LSD the times I did it were horrible you know for some people I think it would unlock this great positive awareness of things in the world. Uh, my wife, Katie, talks about taking LSD and walking through the park and seeing, seeing the grass new and right. seeing the leaves new and seeing a little glistening on the sidewalk and thinking, oh my God, this stuff has always been here. Where have I been? <laughs> and for me, it would just exaggerate all the brutality of the world, you know, right. and I would start to think about a cat that might older brothers threw off a stadium, uh, you know, when I was, when I was six years old and anything bad it magnifies. would start to, yeah, exactly. You'd start to think about it and you couldn't get out of this death, decay, bad decisions. And it would just, you know, you, you would just be trapped in it. It just didn't work for me, you know, and neither did smoking pot though. I sold it. I didn't like that thing of being stoned. As I've gotten older, I've discovered there are some recreational kind of drugs that I like that are fun, but not on any kind of heavy, heavy basis. You know, you could, you could measure all the drugs that I've done and put them into one little, little <laughs> cup my whole life, and it would be, in, it would be embarrassingly un-Scarface, you know. Um, but I've been around them a lot, and I, and I, you know, a lot of the art and a lot of the music and a lot of people frankly do them it works for them they have fun with it i mean some of it is is obviously destructive but there is you know there's a lot of people i've known that have navigated all that and liked it and enjoyed it and gotten out of it before it's destroyed them or whatever and i think the flaming lips music is definitely like a drug in a way i mean we you know i don't think we purposely called our music or still do call it psychedelic but i mean it whatever that could imply it probably is what we like you know a lot of music that we listen to is cinematic and it is telling this this sort of subconscious story along with it you know even the way that i look is just entrenched in it a thousand percent even though i mostly would be frightened of it that's so funny. I certainly would have pegged you in a different way, right? I mean, I've seen you riding a unicorn in the 930 Club. I, you know, <laughs> that tells me something, or at least my imagination thinks of something. But I, I, I love how you come to what you come to. And 
that's pretty wonderful. Well, thank you. You're a, a new dad. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. <laughs> and you'll get to see, uh, my son's an, a, older now for sure, And but you'll get to see that all that stuff unfold. Has it already in some way, shape, or form affected the music you listen to, the music you make, the things you think about? Well, I mean, I'm sure that it has. You know, there's something clicks in you where, you know, you just don't have this free time that you're kind of just wandering around in, you know? I mean, my my wife, Katie and I, we say that a lot, like, what did we do before? All we did is sleep and watch TV, you know? (laughs) So there's probably something that you just have a deeper priority of like, this time that I have here is precious. If I'm not gonna be with my little boy helping him understand the world, I'm going to make this time count, you know, and so it's probably something like that. Mm-hmm. But some of the, you know, some of these, this, this music and these songs, I mean, we were, we were making them two and three years ago. You know, it probably pushed it along to where something in there, but I wouldn't necessarily know uh, exactly what it is or if it's for the good or for the bad. You know, I, I try to be as patient as I've ever been, mm-hmm. but sometimes, yeah, you have, you just have less time and you have a bigger priority of like where you really want to spend your energy and your love and all that, you know? So it probably is, and I'll probably notice it as, as I go like, oh, there's the, there's the moment it all, <laughs> it all switched, you know? But for me, I think it's wonderful. You know, I'm almost 60 years old. And in a sense, to be living this utterly new life, and especially with COVID hitting, you know, at the beginning of spring last year, what a bizarre, unknown, un- and I would have never even thought of this life previous to this. And here I am living like a whole nother life. It's, it's I mean, it's, it's amazing. It really is amazing. You do have this amazing life. And yet, the record is about a lot of people who didn't make it, and I just wondered if there's any any sense of guilt in there. Well, there is. I mean, I think that's part of why I say it all the time, but I think that's what music is. You know, if you if you can't do music, you still kind of pray, and I don't mean pray because you believe in Jesus or you know or God or any of that, but we all kind of have this dialogue with the universe where you just wish you just have a wish that this could go this way or wish that you had a way of saying i'm sorry or you wish that you had acted different and i think that's part of what's in this music even before i start to sing i mean there's sometimes you know the music is setting up a type of song that we're we know we're going to do you know i say it's kind of like um you know you run into a friend they say i had this dream last night um (laughs) and they go can I tell you about it? And you go, <laughs> uh, you, you don't say this out loud, but right, in your, in your oh, mind no, you yeah, say, right. um, yeah, uh, only if it's like two minutes long, but I don't <laughs> want to hear some hour long. You know what I mean? So I think with our music on American Head, we set it up even just for ourselves, but set it up for the listener to say, this is the type of story you're about to hear. You know, it's setting it up to say, here's the setting, here's the sound, here's the coloring, here's the mood. And then I come in and I start to do the story, you know. And I think guilt and regret and joy and sadness and all those things, they're probably the reason music really got 
going, you know, because you've found a way to put these emotions into something that gets them out of your mind. It, it doesn't make you not think of them, but they, they can live outside of your mind. And I think for anybody, you know, whether it's going to a therapist or having a good friend or a diary, anything that you can say, this little thing that's getting me in my mind, I need to put it somewhere else. It doesn't mean I've solved it, but at least it says, you know, it's not just in me. And so, yeah. And I, I mean, I think plenty, plenty of great music is made without guilt and regret and all that as well. But this type of emotional music, for me, is really the greatest, greatest thing. And that's why I think it goes back to being a teenager where you're sitting there by yourself wondering about all these things that you're thinking about and wondering about and don't have any answers for. And then a song comes on and you feel, I'm not alone. I don't know why. But now that the song, the song says it, I know it's not just me going crazy. That's beautiful. Thank you. I look forward to one day when I can give you a hug. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's a, such a great thing to say. Thank I you love you. Friend. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Wayne Coyne, the fabulous new album from The Flaming Lips is called American Head. And if you haven't seen their Tiny Desk Home concert performed inside plastic bubbles, you can find that at NPR.org. I'm Bob Boylan for NPR Music. It's all songs considered. This message comes from NPR sponsor, McDonald's. McDonald's supports Ronald McDonald House Charities, who provide space for millions of families each year to spend quality time together when their child is in the hospital. McDonald's, serving here.